Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 98 with Sean Douglas. Sean Douglas is a former drill instructor who has a whole lot of great brilliance when it comes to thinking about resilience and positivity and making it through difficulties that come your way. So you're going to learn, one, why you should develop a gratitude habit, two, how to overcome a self-defeating behavior, and three, approaches for sustaining your energy throughout the day. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, or links to items that we discuss here, you can find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP98, awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP98. And while exploring awesomeatyourjob.com, I'd like to point you to a limited time promotion here. I have a $1,000 discount to offer to you, loyal podcast listener, if you might be looking at some training here in 2017 coming up. So I call it the honeymoon special because I just got married. And until the end of 2016, if you shoot me an inquiry about my enhanced thinking and collaboration training program, shoot me an email, pete at awesomeatyourjob.com or fill out that little form over on the training program section of the website. That discount can be yours. That program is my flagship training, which offers a whole lot of tools and principles to slash through waste at work. And the before after results are pretty exciting, showing that the typical teammate will save about 1.4 hours per week because of more succinct communication and smarter collaborations that reduce miscommunication, rework, and those kinds of challenges. So the ROI is frankly huge, and that comes into play. So it might be fun to meet in person if that is at all in the cards. So that's one thing to check out, as well as some of the free stuff, the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course, the Gold Nugget email summaries, and other goodies. So Check that out. But for now, let's hear about Sean. Sean Douglas was born in Detroit, Michigan in 1983. He is a veteran of the U.S. Air Force, a certified master resilience trainer, and a professional inspirational speaker. Sean spent four years as a drill instructor in Air Force basic training, where he developed over 500 young men and women into military leaders. Not surprisingly, he is energetic and passionate about inspiring others to succeed. Sean's interactive training develops the participants' skills in the mental, physical, social, and spiritual domains of resilience and leaves people better equipped to manage change effectively. Here's Sean. Sean, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm honored. You know, it's so fun. This is the first time we've had a drill instructor with us here on the show. And I bet you must have so many amazing stories over the course of doing that. Could you maybe share one or two to set the scene for us? Sure. So do you want funny ones or sad ones or what are you looking for? Oh, you know, I'd like funny and inspirational. Okay. Maybe a combo if you could do both at one. That'd okay. be very impressive. <laughs> Let's do a funny one first. Okay. So I forget what it is, but for some reason, when young men and women come to basic training, they leave common sense at home, I think. I see. So, you know, I'm telling everybody, I'm like, you need to shave the hair off your face. I'm telling you right now, you better shave that hair. I'm screaming at them. And it's like zero week, like zero week is the time that they come there on that Wednesday. And I'm screaming at them like, get in, get out. Let's go. We got things to do. Let's go. And this kid 
had shaved all the hair off his face, including his eyebrows. Oh. He's like, sir, <laughs> you said all the hair. Sir, you said – I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And I'm like screaming at this kid. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like when I said all of the hair – and then another one come out. And then another one come out. I'm like, no. Wow. No. I had like three or four kids who shaved all the hair off their face. <laughs> Oh boy, there's some life lessons in there. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, definitely. And then an inspirational one. So I had this one kid. He's about 23 years old at the time. So he's 23. He was living under one of the um, overpasses out on the freeway. And when he was 18, his parents said, "Okay, now get out of my house. You now have graduated high school. Get out of my house." And so he didn't go to college. He was into drugs, into alcohol, and all that. And he was on the brink of suicide. And said, "You know what? I need to do something with my life." So I'm going to join the military. And he walked a few miles over to the Air Force base and pleaded with the guards, like, I want to join. Like, how do I do this? So, of course, we have recruiters on base and in different areas of the city. So they call him up and they say, hey, we got this kid. Can you come talk to him? They take him over. They get him. I mean, this kid, I guess when he got there was, I mean, ratty clothes and, you know, whatever. So what they did was they got him a couple pairs of clothes that he could wear. But, um, you know, they got him all the tests that he needed and and checked them out, you know, and said, OK, well, if this is what you want to do. These are the type of things that you need to do. I take the app. You got to take, you know, PT tests, you know, and all this other stuff. So he passed all these tests and they're taking care of him. And he shows up in my flight. So he's homeless a week ago. And then all of a sudden he's in my flight and basically training. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the eight weeks, I mean, he was one of the best ones I had because this was life or death for him. So at the end of the eight weeks of training, I was going to give him his clothes back, which he showed up in a black trash bag of clothes and nasty and dirty. And he said, no, that's a part of my life that I don't want to remember. That's a part of my life that is dead to me now. This is my family. This is my life. The uniform that I wear is now me. And so we walked out to the dumpster and threw his clothes away. And then he went on to tech school and I still talked to him, you know, five years later, he's doing really well. He's still in the Air Force. And he's like, this is the best decision I've ever made. And uh, he's pretty much cut off all contact to the people that pretty much wrote him off as you're not worth my time. It, and it inspired everybody in our flight. It was great. Well, that is inspiring. Thank you. And, well, you delivered on both two for two. So good. So funny. <laughs> so inspiring. I've got great hopes for the rest of this conversation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, so now I'm intrigued then. So I'm sure you've learned a thing or two as a drill instructor and then shifting gears now, you do a lot of inspirational speaking. Yes. So I guess I'm curious to hear what lessons when it comes to learning and personal development kind of are the same and universal versus, right. you know, what only works in the military versus civilian life? When you're in the military, every single minute of your day is pretty much planned out, at least in tech school, basic training. But once you get into the operational Air force, once you're in the military, you pretty much are you need to be here at this time. You need to do this at this time. You need to I mean, it is pretty much planned out for you and you just kind of go along with things. Mm hmm. In the civilian world, you plan your own stuff. So if you fail, it is your fault and it is solely on your shoulders. In the military, so like I'm an aircraft mechanic and what I do is I inspect the aircraft before they take off. So if somebody messes up and doesn't put panel on or, you know, they got a tire that's bad because it's all the way down to the cords, you know, servicing's wrong. I can blame them and say you had this much time, this much time. How come you didn't get it done or, you know, what have you. You know, I can squarely put it on him, but I know the mission has to keep going. So I have to take a role in completing the mission while basically teaching him at the same exact time. Whereas in the civilian world, I have a set time to learn. I have a set time to do things. I have a set time to, you know, so you pretty much make your own schedule 
when you are doing your own self-development. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're pretty much told you need to do this at this time, at this time, and this time. This is your work. You work from 8 in the morning to 5 p.m. Like, this is your schedule. This is, you know, what we're doing, you know, what have you. So everything is really planned out. You need to be over here at PT for this time. You need to report here for this time. And that's pretty much how it goes. Understood. Okay. And so I guess I'm thinking about sort of the people learning and development transformation side of that as well. It's like, I think there's a different style. Well, you tell me how you do your inspirational speaking. Uh, The (laughs) style and process by which folks do kind of learn, grow, change. What have you seen in those two worlds with the drill instruction versus the speaking and working with folks that way? So there's an art to being a drill instructor. I mean, there absolutely is. So we need to break down every bad habit that you have because we want to build a military mindset. So when we first come in, you have to break them down to the lowest form, you know, because they already come in with those self-defeating behaviors. They already come in with bad habits and, and their mind isn't where we want it to be. So as a drill instructor, it is my job to pick out the strengths that they have hone in on those, build those and cultivate the strengths that they already possess. And at the same time, breaking away the other self-defeating behaviors that we don't want, that negative thinking, those negative habits. And so through the process of the first two weeks, I am constantly breaking them down, breaking them down. Why are you doing it that way? That is ridiculous. You are not supposed to be here in basic training. You suck at life so bad. You need to do it this way because you have a skill, blah, 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 blah. And then I tell them you know, and I build them up utilizing those skills. Because if you exploit your gifts and talents that you already have, I guarantee you, you will have a high success rate. Whereas when I do inspirational speaking, I don't solely focus on the negative. I only focus on positives and I'll pull a negative if I need to. You see what you did here? See, that didn't work, right? You see that how that didn't work? Okay, good. Got it. Let's do it this way. You know what I mean? So when I'm coaching somebody or I'm building a personal development plan for somebody, I want to key in on the same things that I would as a drill instructor, but I'm not like you're a piece of crap and I don't know why you're here. <laughs> I won't get any clients that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you why are you here? <laughs> Go away. I responded to your ad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm here. Right. Oh, all right. Yeah. So, well, I want to hear then a little bit. So resilience is a key topic that oh, you talk yeah. about and you work, you train. You are a master resilience trainer. That is a yes. cool title. Why don't you open it with that? So what does that title mean exactly? How does one become one? And what's this resilience stuff about? Yeah. So in 2009, the University of Pennsylvania stood up a resilience program and they had a bunch of people that did research and conducted interviews and collected data from different researchers that were done from around the world, like the London cab driver research that says that the London cab drivers, their GPS lobe in their brain, you know, in the front of their brain is significantly larger because they do it all the time. Whereas other people who use a GPS, they don't have as big an area. And then other areas of their brain that they do all the time are larger than others that don't utilize that area of the brain. It's basically called the London cab driver research. And it basically states that everything is a learned behavior. And the more you do it, the more it becomes a habit, the bigger that area of the brain becomes. That's all that says. Mm-hmm. They did an ax research where they sprayed 20 people with ax and sprayed 20 people with water. And then they made a video about themselves and the women had to pick out the people who wore ax 
and it was like a mind over matter thing like, well, I got sprayed with Axe and I'm like the new hotness, like sliced bread, you know? And then the guys sprayed with water was like, I just got water. And they could tell – and these are women looking at a video screen mm. saying that, that they can't smell them, nothing, but it's called the Axe effect. That I sprayed mm. you with Axe, therefore your confidence is bigger. Is is bolder, you know, <laughs> but they did a lot of mental because the resilience is mental, physical, spiritual and social domains. Mm-hmm. So those are the areas that resilience really focuses on mental, physical, social, and spiritual and social is also kind of emotional, but it's all wrapped into one. It's basically what I teach is all based on positive psychology. So when UPenn stood up this program, they came out to different military bases. They came out to different areas and they taught us. And then we got certified as a resilience trainer. As you go through, like I've got close to 10,000 hours of teaching time, like classroom, academia, teaching time. I've got almost 10,000 hours between drill instructor, between resilience training, between training in different conferences and all that stuff, close to 10,000 hours. After a certain amount of time, they certify you as a master instructor to where I can go into any classroom, start teaching. So basically, I teach public speaking classes on the base. I teach people how to become public speakers and coaches and trainers. And so I basically vet everybody that comes in contact with me and wants to teach this program. That was great. Well, fun. And so it sounds like we got a lot to learn. So when you say resilience in these different categories, so uh-huh. what precisely is the definition of resilience? Like one is resilient if X or resilience is the ability to Y. Yeah. So resilience is your ability to withstand recover and grow to the face of every stressor and adversity you face in life. Oh, you've said that before. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds good. I want to get me some of that. So do share with us, you know, what are some key ways to go about building and developing that? And I think particularly in the work setting, the ways that we need to, you know, withstand and recover from those kinds of stresses and challenges that happen there. Absolutely. So with resilience, people think, you know, well, it's your ability to bounce back. Okay, you're hitting it. You know, it is your ability to bounce back or recover. But when we talk about recover, you know, your ability to recover because everybody is going to go through an adversity. Everybody. My grandfather died in 2013 and then I deployed two weeks later. Talk about being resilient. That was the worst deployment I was ever on. I didn't even have time to really grieve. You know, some of the adversity that I've gone through in life, you know, you recover, right? But to withstand is not just to go through the adversity, but to grow through it. And that's why we say to withstand, recover and grow, Mm -hmm. because a lot of times in life with our self-defeating behaviors, we repeat the same process because we didn't learn our lesson, you know? So we've had to do the stupid things all over again. Like, oh, that didn't work. Let me try again. I just did the same thing. Never mind. Let me try it again. So, you know, with stand, recover and grow, those are the three areas that we need to hone in on when we're going through adversity and stress and also changing demands. That's the huge one. So when I talk about withstanding, recovering and growing through the face of adversity and stress and changing demands, that's huge because everything is always changing. Right. I mean, everything. I mean, Think about, you know, when people buy out companies, when people move companies. I mean, there's so many times that your job is going to change. I'm sure you've seen the podcast arena change with, you know, people use Skype, people use Hangouts, people use, you know, Blab. I mean, there's tons of 
ways that you can do, you know, this, but what if something changed? What if you can't use Skype anymore? Do you just say, Oh, I'm not doing podcasts no more. Or do you adapt and find another way to accomplish your goals? Mm -hmm. And that's where people fall short is they won't find another way. So when we stay with stand, recover and grow, okay, I'm in a terrible time right now. I'm withstanding the storm like a hurricane and then recover. Okay. Shake it off, shake off whatever just happened shake it off. Let me figure out how to get, move it again and then grow. I went through this adversity. Here's how I'm better prepared to handle that same adversity if it comes again. And I've grown through it. Don't just go through an adversity, grow through it. All right. So let's do it. So adversity strikes. What are some key practices, mindsets, mantras, stuff to do to bolster our capacity for withstanding, recovering and growing? Yeah. So there's a theory called the broaden and build theory. And basically what it does is it creates a buffer for challenges Being resilient doesn't mean that you won't experience adversity. If you do, resilience can just buffer the adverse effects of stressful life events. So we use a broad range of coping strategies, right? Everybody has coping strategies. There's three ways that people deal with adversity. They either ignore it, pretend it doesn't happen. It's going to go away. It's not real. It's not real. This isn't happening. This isn't happening. Or they do what I did and they medicate it. They drink, they do drugs. Now I drank and I was an alcoholic and that led to my adversity and oh, it was crazy. Or people will hit it head on, figure out how to beat it, figure out how to take charge of their situation, their adversity, and they grow through it and you know they're better off. So that's what we want is people to accept their adversity, which a lot of people don't. We want to accept it. And then we want them to change the dynamic of that situation somehow. Some things you can't change, like you know, you have a death in the family. Okay. You have to accept it. We got it. We accept it. You know, don't just get down in the dumps like you would in a a relationship. You know, people break up and they're like miserable for four days. Okay, we got it. Adversity Mm. time. You know, let's be resilient. Let's figure out a way to change this dynamic because the broaden and build theory says every negative emotion builds on itself. So think of it as bricks, negative emotion, another negative emotion, another negative emotion. And then pretty soon you've got all these bricks. Every negative thought that we have in our mind is self-created. That's Mm -hmm. a fact. Every negative thought we have is self-created. Now, on the other spectrum, you have positive emotions that build on each other. One positive thing, one positive thing, one positive thing, and they all build on each other. So the broaden and build theory basically is saying that, because I call it catastrophizing. You know what a catastrophizer is? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so catastrophizer. One bad thing leads to another bad thing, leads to another bad thing, and pretty soon your life is terrible because it's all these negative, 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 you know? But to master any challenges, you need to have positive emotion, and we do that by hunting the good stuff in every situation, which I call counting blessings. Okay. So you have to count blessings every single day, three times a day. Yes, Sean Acor, I think, talks about that in The Happiness Advantage. And so another fellow Penn positive psychology guy. So, all right, I'm intrigued. So we're going to hunt for the good. We're going to count blessings. So how does that work? I guess there's some perhaps daily, regular gratitude practices. Like, how do you do it? Like, in terms of establishing that habit up front. Absolutely. So in order for you to form a habit, you have to do something 66 times. I heard something the other day, it was like 30-something the other day it was like 20 something. I just stick with what I know. What I know is that after 66 days of you doing something, it becomes a habit. So I could ask somebody, do you have 198 different blessings that you're thankful for? Uh, not really. Awesome. So if you did it three times a day for 66 days, that's 198 different blessings. Right. So 
the goal of the counting blessings is to cultivate gratitude and build your optimism and positive thinking, mm-hmm. right? And cope with the daily hassles and stress of life. But what you have to do is you have to set aside a regular basis, regular time before you go to bed. What was great about today? What my family does is we have no phones at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. The TV is off. It is just us. And we do our three blessings. What three things happened wonderful today? What three things are you grateful for today? And we do that every day for dinner. Okay, lovely. Cool. All right, so that's a fine place to insert them. Absolutely. How do you go about doing the hunting for the good in kind of real time? Stuff pops up. You don't like it. Ugh. What are you saying okay. to yourself to find that good real time? Yeah. So let's say you're going through a huge adversity and okay, I'm hunting for the good stuff. I'm hunting for the good stuff. Like, holy crap, what good can come out of this? So when my grandfather died in 2013, I was like, this is like the worst timing ever. Like this is, oh my gosh, I'm about to deploy. So I went home, we had the funeral and everything. And, you know, by the time I got back to North Carolina, where I'm at now, you know, I only had like a week to prepare, you know, everything that was going on and I was gone. But the whole time I was home, you know, my grandfather's death brought our family closer together. We saw a family that we haven't seen in a long time. We got to remember the funny things that my grandfather said or did, you know? So out of this tragedy, we were remembering the funny things, the good things. We were telling stories. We were reliving our childhood, which then made it happy, you know? And then I thought about it and I was like, man, this is it right here, man. I'm hunting the good stuff. You know, my grandfather passed away. One of my biggest supporters of my life how am I going to recover from this? Okay, well, I'm only going to remember the amazing things that ever happened when he told me this, when we were at my mother's house and this happened and he was there. And so we really literally hunted the good stuff and shared funny memories that we had as children, you know, about my grandfather. Very cool. All right. So you're sort of asking yourself those questions and even doing some group things together to get Mm -hmm. after that. And so then you talked about by doing so, you are building an optimism, a positive kind of outlook and mindset. And so could you share with us, you know, what are some of the ways you start reaping those benefits and the advantages once you've kind of have that built? Oh, man, when you have an attitude of gratitude, positive mindset by far you will be so much more successful because we always hunt the bad stuff. We, I mean, we literally do out of every situation. That's what we do. For some reason, we just, I don't know why we find bad things about everything. Oh, there's too much traffic. I'm not going anywhere. No, I can't do that. I mean, if I wanted to be an inspirational speaker, which I am, and I turned around and said, you know what? It's too hard. I don't know what to speak about. Like, I don't want that self-talk, that negative behavior kills all dreams. Mm. It just, it kills people's dreams. But the gratitude is a sense of wonder, a sense of thankfulness, appreciation for life. There's a researcher, his name is um, Robert Emmons. So Robert Emmons is one of the prominent researchers on gratitude. And this guy has tons and tons and tons of work and years of research on how to cultivate gratitude. And he said that once you have an attitude of gratitude, once you are thankful for every single thing in life, once you are content where you are now in life, you will be much more satisfied with your life in the future. Okay. That sounds handy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes we count everybody else's blessings. You ever seen that? Well, this guy's got a car. I want his house or I want this. And everybody says, well, my grass is going to be greener over there. And, you know, but we forget to water our own grass. <laughs> That's the thing. Mm-hmm. We want what everybody else has. So by counting everybody else's blessings, you are missing your own blessings in your own life. 
So we need to start with us. You can't fix what's going on around you until you fix what's going on inside you. In order to do that, you have to have gratitude. I'm thankful that I woke up this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that I am awake, I am blessed, and I'm alive, and I'm living on purpose. And then you appreciate, you want to appreciate somebody, write a gratitude letter. Just write a letter to somebody Mm. that says, thank you for everything that you've ever done for me, and then mail it off. And tell me if that does not put a smile on somebody's face. Oh, that's so good. And we had Michelle Gielan earlier talking about Mm -hmm. that concept and how that makes a world of difference. That was back in episode 49. And so good. What I'd love to hear, when you're counting these blessings. I love you gave a couple of specific examples and that was really nifty. It's like, it doesn't have to be something big or major. You just sort of said, you know, you're alive today and things are kicking. Can you just maybe give us a, a couple other examples? Because I think maybe the overachiever listening might sort of <laughs> demand that the blessing they count be a really good one, but okay. it sounds like they could be kind of mundane. So could you maybe just rattle some blessings off for us? Absolutely. I am thankful to be alive. My self-esteem is rising right now because of my attitude of gratitude. I'm thankful for my positive self-esteem. When you come out of the gym, you know, you're like, I'm thankful for the opportunity to, you know, be able to go to the gym. I'm thankful for the opportunity to worship, you know, Jesus Christ, because in some countries you're not allowed to do that. Mm. I'm thankful for my wife, my kids, my grandparents, my family. I'm thankful for you for letting me be on this podcast. I mean, this is a blessing right now. You know, the opportunity that we even have podcasts, the internet, I mean, it's endless. Things that we take for granted every single day Mm. are blessings, right? But a lot of people say, oh, material blessings. Like, I'm thankful for shoes. I'm thankful for it. That's what my kids do. I'm like, no, 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 no. Give me something. Give me something huge, you know, that you're thankful for. Like my son the other day, he was telling me, he's like, man, I'm thankful for you that you have a positive impact on people because if you didn't, then who's going to do it? And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, I've got people in my life, and this is another resilient skill I teach. It's called board of directors. I have a lot of people on my board of directors that I can turn to, you know, for help in case I get overwhelmed. But the Mm -hmm. counting blessings part, it helps build your social relationships. And it decreases depression, anxiety, loneliness. It improves sleep. I mean, there's so many psychological advantages to having an attitude of gratitude. I'm appreciation of beauty for life. Oh, man, by far most important skill. Okay. That's so good. All right. So powerful, most important skill. So in addition, can you share, you talk a lot about self-defeating behaviors. And so mm-hmm. attitude of gratitude, it sounds like it crushes many of those. Yes. But tell me, what are some other kind of commonly occurring self-defeating behaviors, particularly that show up in the workplace and a means of tackling or counteracting them? So the ones that we see a lot, like when I go into an office somewhere, they're like, man, we need to look at our team. We need to develop some better practices. You know, how can we develop a bigger team camaraderie, you know, all that stuff. And it seems like besides, you know, like negative thinking, self-talk, like I'm not good enough. I can't do this. This is too hard. You know, it seems like they feel like they're overworked. I can't do it. Like I don't know where to start. And they don't prioritize their day or they don't have a growth plan at all. Mm-hmm. People are waking up every day going to jobs that they don't like. I hear you. People are getting massive amounts of debt, college student loans, debt, and then getting bachelor's degrees that they can't even use. In order for you to be successful, you have to exploit your gifts and talents because that's what we have. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has a talent. And if you are not exploiting that, then you are already failing. If you are living out your passion, you will never work a day in your life. I never, I have not worked in like, I don't know, 10 years. Since 2009, I was a drill instructor. 
I ended that in 2013. I became a resilience trainer. I became an inspirational speaker. And now I just wrote my first book, which is by far not even in my goal setting. I don't like writing, but somehow I wrote it. So there's a blessing. But a lot of people, they're not living out their passions. They don't have a purpose for what they do. They just wake up and they go to work. Why? Because they need to pay the bills and they need to feed their wives and kids. Okay. So the hardest part is to find someone's purpose and prioritize their day in case they get too overwhelmed because we have what I call an energy tank and you just, you're pouring out and pouring out and pouring out, but who's pouring into you? We pour out to people all the time. You know, we want to motivate people and want to help people, but if we're not receiving that back, we're screwed. I mean, we're already toast. So I always tell people manage your energy, not your time. Right. And that is a great mantra. And I've heard that from the, you know, the powerful engagement with Tony Schwartz mm-hmm. and some other places. Oh, so yeah. one means is by kind of doing some regular prioritization. Mm-hmm. But what are some other key ways that you do a smart job of managing your energy as opposed to your time? Yeah. So to manage your energy tank, if you will, most effectively, there's two very important key principles that I talk about, right? So the number of days and the number of hours, number of months, number of weeks, it's all fixed. It's never going to change unless it's like a leap year, but I mean, it's never going to change, right? But the quantity and quality of energy available to us is infinite, right? Some people use energy drinks. Some people use five-hour energy. Some people go to the gym right after they wake up, right? Some people go to the gym before they go to bed. You know, it just depends on what they want to do. But think of your day in terms of a fuel tank rather than a clock. Okay. And that's what they're like, huh? Okay. So here's what we do, right? We manage our energy, not our time. So being aware of when your energy is at its peak, when you are peaking energy, right? And when you are at your lowest energy, when you know what those two realms are, you will improve your own resilience, but you're going to improve your performance. So if you manage your energy like a sprinter, not a marathoner, you're going to uh, end up exerting energy when needed, and then you can recover. Does that make sense? I hear you. Yeah. So I'm a night owl. I get a ton of stuff done in the evening because that's when I peak out. I peak my energy right around like six, seven, eight, nine o'clock. I'm peaking. I'm like, I'm rolling. Kids are getting ready for bed and I'm like running through the house, getting everything I got to get done. But if you ask me to do something like eight o'clock in the morning, it's going to take me a minute. (laughs) I am not a morning person. I am absolutely not a morning person. So Think about your natural biorhythms based on your energy. Are you more of a morning person or an afternoon person or are you an evening person? What do you think? So, you know, I have been thinking about that and I'd say, I think it may have even shifted over the last couple of years. I mean, I think that the peak time is right around 10 a.m. Aha. Uh-huh. So if you had a huge, let's say project, or you had a huge undertaking, Right. And you're looking at your schedule and you're like, oh, man, I really don't want to do it at 8 a.m. or maybe even at like oh, man, one o'clock. I'm kind of man, I'm coming back from lunch. When you schedule things, do you schedule them right around the time that you know you're going to peak? Well, I do. I say when possible, I'd say there's in terms of like, well, the importance of that thing. You know, I try to schedule things that are tricky or very critical around that time. So, yeah, I'm right on board with that. Yeah. So a lot of people don't. A lot of people just say, you know what? I've got an opening here. Let's schedule it here. And then they get super busy 
And they're like, oh, I got this meeting. I forgot. Oh, man. You know what I mean? And now they're trying to scramble, but they're like, man, I should have ate lunch or, oh, man. So they're not prioritizing. So what I tell them is you need to manage your energy. Schedule things when you know you are peaking. So if you need a lot of brain power to, um, let's say you're a college student and you got to pass a test, you know what I mean? Then you need to figure out where to exert certain amount of energies and so that you have all of it saved up for that test. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's say you're a business owner and you know you've got this huge thing coming up. You know what I mean? Try to schedule it right around the time that you know you're going to be at your maximum potential and you nail it. Because if you don't, so we have the old paradigm, right? So like the full engagement, like we're supposed to manage our time and, oh, you want to avoid stress. And if you have downtime, it's wasted. You know, life's a marathon. You know, don't try to do everything all at once. You know, you need self-discipline and, you know, invest your time and energy into what you're doing. But it's changing. Everything is changing. You know, we need to manage our energy. Like I know I'm a night owl, so I get all my stuff. Most of my book was written at night mm-hmm. because I was awake and I was ready. And, you know, I was working afternoons, you know, that helps. But, you know, in the morning when I'm waking up, I'm like, okay, leave me alone. Let me get some coffee. Let me, oh man. You know what I mean? That's what we do, you know, but seeking stress now grows you as a person mm-hmm. and having a routine rather than saying, well, you got to be disciplined. You got to be disciplined. But how, I mean, how are we disciplined? Because I have a routine because I have a prioritization of my life. It says that I'm going to schedule this here. I'm going to be intentional about doing it here. And people right after January 1st, what do they do? I'm going to do all this stuff. And then January 4th, they're like, nah, never mind. Right. <laughs> you know, get out of routine, schedule things. Boom. Okay. And so I guess I'm intrigued to hear that you mentioned the marathon point and the notion that, oh, downtime is wasted. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit about taking breaks and what is sort of an ideal kind of cadence or rhythm if you're doing a series of sprints as opposed to a marathon? Absolutely. Do you take naps? I'm a napper, yes. Awesome. So have you ever heard that, you know, like kids need to take a nap and do you know why they need to take naps? Tell me. Because you ever seen a kid not take a nap and they're just like totally tired and they're just like falling off because they haven't learned to bank sleep. Do you bank sleep? I bank sleep. So what I do is I take like a 20 minute nap. Boom. I'm banking my sleep. So I'm taking a 20 minute nap. I get rested. I'm like, all right, let's do this. Because at some point you are going to get very, very busy and you're going to exert a ton of energy onto something and it's going to wipe you out. Let's say that you need six hours of sleep Monday through Friday to operate. You need six hours of sleep every night. Mm-hmm. But then let's say you get 10 hours of sleep. You're like, wow, I got 10 hours of sleep. I can't believe that. Your body will take away those extra four hours somewhere in that week. I guarantee it. Now take it away. What do you mean? How? What does that mean in practice? So like, okay, let's say that, you know, you're doing your podcast and everything. And let's say that you've got this massive like, Oh, I don't know. Simon Sinek, John Maxwell, Les Brown, Zig Ziglar, somebody huge is coming on your podcast. Like this is like the break that you've been waiting for you. Oh my gosh, this is all you can think about. Right. And you want to put all the energy you can into having the best episode ever. But last night was a Sunday and you were out at like a wedding reception or something and you're like totally tired. Right. It's probably not going to make for a really good podcast if it's at like nine o'clock in the morning and you're completely tired. Mm-hmm. But if you schedule it for at your peak, let's say you schedule it at your peak performance, it's at 11 a.m. You're like, OK, I need to sleep this many hours. I'm going to bank it. Let's say the night before, let's say on Saturday, I'm going to bank my sleep. I'll do what I got to do on Sunday. 
And then on Monday, I'm ready to go. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So what I do is I know I got a big thing coming up. I got a huge deadline. I've got, you know, with my book, I would take naps every so often and I would try to get as much sleep as I could because I knew in a couple of days, I'm going to be up for like 18, 19 hours trying to get this thing done because I've banked all my sleep, so to speak. I've banked it all. My body was ready to go. I wasn't tired at the 12-hour mark or 14-hour mark like I normally would because I banked a lot of sleep. I took a couple naps. I was getting well-rested, getting my six, seven hours of sleep, what have you. So any other sleep other than what you need to operate, it's called banking sleep, those naps you take. And so when you bank, I'm curious, what's the research out of UPenn or wherever suggest about kind of how long that works? Because I imagine if I slept, for example... 10 hours, which is even hard for me to do. I don't manage to stay calmed out that long. If I were to sleep 10 hours, like three months ago, Mm -hmm. does that still count? Like, can I access what I've deposited? (laughs) Yeah, no, no, short term. I'm sure it varies person by person and biorhythm to biorhythm. But can you give me a rough sense for kind of how long do I have it at the bank before it expires? And then the bank (laughs) collects fees off of it. (laughs) Yeah. So one week of sleep extension will improve your resilience. It's measured by performance, alertness. Back in 2009, they did this technique. What they did was they took this technique where they deprived people of sleep and then everybody else got about, you know, the regular seven or eight hours or whatever it is. And then because they deprived this X group, they deprived them of sleep and then gave them tasks. The next couple of days, they let them sleep, just sleep, just do what you got to do. And then do the same tasks. The other group, they let them get their sleep, and then in one day, they deprived them of all sleep. Mm -hmm. And they found out that sleep restriction, right, because I can't go to sleep. I got to get this done. I got to get this done. I got to get this done. You are losing performance. Does that make sense? I hear you, yeah. Yeah, you're losing it. Let's say I'm, okay, six hours a night, six hours a night, six hours a night. Okay, I'm just not going to sleep. I got to get this done. Like, I'm just going to get like three hours of sleep. Yeah, that's not going to work. (laughs) You need to take naps every so often so that you're banking that sleep so that when things come up, right? You've got it in the bank. And it's about one week. So this technique is not on a regular basis to compensate for the lack of sleep, but it's only for a short time, about a week or two. Mm -hmm. But our naps improve alertness. You know what I mean? They absolutely do, right? You feel great. That's about a 20-minute nap. You're like, wow, this is amazing. But what will happen is because to allow for a full REM cycle, the rapid eye movement cycle, right? If you sleep for, for, let's say, an hour and a half, you haven't hit that full REM cycle. To hit the full REM cycle, it's about two hours. Okay. Sleep is very, very, very important to our bodies and, you know, all that. I think they call it sleep inertia. <laughs> oh, yeah. When you take a nap, it's called sleep inertia. <laughs> oh, like the first moments after you wake up, you're right. not quite there. I'm with you. Did you know that Google has nap pods where people take naps? You know, I've heard of this. I want to get inside one. <laughs> right? Like some of the biggest companies are doing this. Now. They're like, hey, man, go take a 20-minute nap. And then you feel rejuvenated, like, well, let's do this, you know? <laughs> so I would love to see what their nap pods are like, you know? <laughs> oh, indeed. That'd be cool. But if companies are telling their people to take naps, why are we not all doing this? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'll take a nap at work. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Yeah. I actually was kind of a weirdo back when I was working at Bain. I would take some naps under a desk. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got a bit of a reputation, like, oh, that's the weird guy who takes naps. But I was like, well, all the science is on my side, so I'm fine with it. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Who's laughing? Now. <laughs> right. Well, so you tell me, is there anything else you want to make sure we get to cover off before we shift gears and talk about a few of your favorite things here? So my book is based on self-defeating behaviors about 
alcoholism, about negative self-talk, you know, which is your self-esteem and things that I grew up with as a child from a broken home and divorce and domestic violence and alcoholism and stuff in the home. And then I fell into that type of thing when I joined the military, became an alcoholic and, you know, which led to thoughts of suicide. And, you know, I almost went through with it, you know, because my mm. self defeating behaviors got so bad. I just felt like I couldn't do anything. I was always wrong. I could never do anything right. Everything I did was wrong. When we did have that absolute talk, I always do wrong. Never. Everything is messed up. When we include those absolutes, it leads to nothing good. Mm. And that's what my book's about is overcoming those self-defeating behaviors using these resilient skill sets. I see. Cool. Well, that sounds helpful. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Send you a copy. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. So now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? So there's a quote that I use and I call it living your brand. So when you live out your values is, is living your brand. So like if you say honesty is your number one value, but you're lying to people, then you're not living your brand. When you say family is important, but you know, I'm doing other things with friends or I'm doing other things with work or whatever, and you're not actually spending time with your family, you're not living your brand. But there is one quote that I absolutely love and it's by Sun Tzu and it's in his book called The Art of War. And he says, Look on your soldiers as your only sons, and they will follow you into the deepest valley. Look on them as your one and only, right? Like your sons, right? And they will follow you even unto death. Like that is huge to be in the military. It's huge when you're a speaker, because if you're up here, blah, 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 and everybody's like, what is he talking? This doesn't make any sense. Your credibility is key. But if you're not treating people with respect and you're not looking at them like I treat everybody with love and respect. But if you're not doing that, then you've already lost your audience. You've already lost your crowd and no one's going to follow you. Mm -hmm. So I love that really hits home. You know, look upon your soldiers as your only sons and they will follow you into the deepest valleys. Like that's what we need. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's good. Thank you. How about a favorite book? Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. Oh, cool. Thank you. Oh, you know, another one is how to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Oh, that is fun. Yeah. Love that. And how about a favorite tool, something that you use often? Tool like a wrench? <laughs> like a wrench, but it could be hardware, software, a uh, framework for thought. I mean, I use LinkedIn a lot. Oh, yeah. I love LinkedIn. Nobody puts on there like, I ate a cheeseburger at Walmart today. Like nobody puts that stuff on there. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that's one of my biggest tools and a calendar. Like when you schedule things, calendar is huge. Mm, absolutely. And how about a favorite habit, something that you've done that's really boosted your effectiveness? Blessings three times a day. Perfect. Count blessings three times a day. And would you say that you already have kind of a resident nugget or some key sort of gems or retweetable tidbits that you say and share that really gets people kind of nodding their heads, taking notes and sharing? Yeah. So the effect that we have on people is the greatest currency that we own as human beings. Are you positively affecting somebody or are you negatively infecting somebody? There's two types of people in this world, thermostats and thermometers. Thermometers take the temperature and says, yep, that's it. That's how things are. Can't change it. This is what we are. But the thermostat people have the ability to establish the temperature, have the ability to maintain the temperature, and if they don't like it, have the ability to change their everything around them. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So I am a thermostat. I like to change people's mindsets. I don't want to change a person, just their mindset. I mean, you got to figure out if you are a thermostat or if you're a thermometer. Okay. And what would you say is the best way to find you if folks want to learn more and see what you're up to? Where would you put them? 
Yeah, I'm always on Facebook. I have my page, you know, Sean Douglas, motivational and public speaker. I have a website, sdsmotivates.wix.com slash Sean Douglas Speaks. I also have a LinkedIn profile. Any one of those, I always post stuff on my Facebook page. I can be reached fairly easily and love to talk to people, love to see what people are up to. Mm-hmm. And is there sort of a final challenge or call to action that you'd like to leave folks with who are seeking to be more awesome with their jobs? Yes. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look back 30 days in your calendar. And then I want you to look 30 days back in your bank account. I want you to pick a value, family, job, not money, you know, not like that, but like I value people. I value relationships. I value family, my wife. I love my job. Whatever you value, look back 30 days in your bank account and in your calendar. And you tell me if you're living your brand because time and money are the two things that people will never willingly give up unless it benefits them in some way. Is that fair to assess? I hear you. So my family is number one. If you look at my bank account, I constantly spend money on them Mm -hmm. all the time. And we schedule things as a family. So time and money, I'm hitting it. You know what I mean? Right. Some people, they're like, well, I value my wife, but I'm over here with my buddies and then I'm at my job, you know, 24 seven. Well, when's your wife come in? Where's your kids come in? And by doing this exercise, you can pick a value, you can pick a goal and see, did I spend time on this goal? Did I spend money on this goal? Where am I failing? And it's a pretty good self-assessment. Mm, that is good. Thank you. All right. Well, Sean, this has been so much fun. I thank you for this and looking forward to incorporating some more regular gratitude practices. Totally kind of forgot about that one. So that's appreciated. That's and wish you tons of luck going forward here. You too, man. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I'm a big fan of that gratitude habit myself. Each morning, I try to identify three things I'm thankful for that occurred in the last 24 hours and just sort of gets you in that zone, in that habit of seeing what's great in your environment so you're less kind of beat down by the junk that's also in the environment. So I hope that's handy for you as well. Again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items mentioned, you find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep98. And I would recommend you punch the subscribe button if you haven't already, just so you won't miss folks like our next guest. It's Michelle Letterman. She's got some real cool perspective on likability. So if you enjoyed the Aurel Moody episode back in the day, which was one of our favorites, episode 19 about likability, she has some further perspective to make that sing all the more. So hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 